You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness, and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness, and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader answers your most asked questions about consciousness, including enlightenment, why consciousness isn't physical, and the balance of intellect and innocence with meditation. Dr. Nader, is it possible to gain enlightenment through the practice of transcendental meditation alone? Or does one need to have the intellectual understanding along with it? If so, why? If you practice transcendental meditation and maintain it regularly and fully, then you can get, of course, enlightenment. But intellectual understanding, for one thing, helps you to maintain regularity and understand the process of what is going on. So if something happens on the way, you are assured and reassured of what the experience is about and feel confident to continue and continue the practice. And also because everything we do has an impact on our life, as we said. So if you practice transcendental meditation completely alone and you go in the cave and do nothing, you are not doing the best for your evolution and for your enlightenment. When we teach transcendental meditation, we say there are two steps of progress, rest and activity. Maharishi takes the experience, you know, even walking, you have one foot is rest, the other is active, sleep and waking, you need rest to recuperate and then move on. So nature functions in this way. And in order to stabilize the experience of higher states of consciousness, you need to have action also. So meditate and act, meditate and act. Now action can be of different kinds. And in the Bhagavad Gita, it is described that there is the path of action, which is stability. It creates stability for the transcendence. You transcend, then you expose it to action. You transcend again, expose it to action. It gets stabilized. Action removes at the beginning. It seems as if it's acting against your stability, but it actually uh, against your uh, experience of equanimity and beautiful sense of rest and peace within. And you go into action, you have to face issues and situations and all of that. And it removes that inner stability. Action does that. But it stabilizes it by repeated action and meditation, it stabilizes. Now, there is another way, of course, if your vocation is in knowledge, then you can have knowledge and knowledge also does the same effect. And in the Bhagavad Gita, it does say that of the two passes, knowledge is the highest. So if you are able to do both, then it's great. You meditate, you act, and you meditate, and you gain knowledge or you experience knowledge because knowledge is also a great purifier in itself. It helps the mind, the intellect, the feeling, and uh, as such, it's very, very important. And it says in, in, the, in the Vedic literature, nahi gyanena sadrisham pavitram, etc., which means there is nothing greater than knowledge or more purifying than knowledge. 
And this is, of course, intellectual knowledge, but the most important knowledge is the direct experience of the self, which is transcending. So you can transcend and act, you can transcend and study or uh, deal with knowledge and higher things or you know, beautiful things to do, music, whatever, something holistic, something artistic. All of this stabilizes uh, consciousness and helps in the path of enlightenment. Why is it important to know this information at such a detailed level rather than just focus on the personal, first-hand experience of transcending? You can meditate, you can uh, do it, and if you're satisfied and happy, then great, you don't need that at all. If you are, you know, focused on creating things, on doing things, and you don't want to go into intellectual analysis, these questions don't come to your mind and you don't feel the need to do it, then it's fine. But as we said in the previous questions, that knowledge is a great purifier by itself. Knowledge is a great clearing the way by itself. The best knowledge is to directly transcend, but even in activity, if we have time to do things, we have interest, Action is very helpful, of course, to do action that helps us also to grow. We accumulate modes of consciousness and bits of consciousness through proper action. That is the karma yoga, the yoga of action, where doing the right things uh, helps to grow also. There is also uh, the yoga of devotion, you know, bhakti yoga. So if you love others, if you care for others, if you do things that help the world, that brings more unity to your understanding and vision. And we will, you know, when we get to that, we will also consider the importance of these different aspects in order to clarify things. So there is the yoga of action, karma yoga, bhakti yoga. There is the yoga of devotion, which we said. There is the Yoga of knowledge, Gyan Yoga, which means if you take that path, it will purify you. So like this, there are different things that can be very, very important in our life. You know, eating the right food, living in the right house, working according to harmony of nature. Many, many things we can do. And these are very important and very helpful. And usually, usually, transcendental meditation awakens consciousness. And therefore, as you practice it, it naturally leads you to the desire for knowledge. And therefore, you can say it is transcendental meditation that did it. Fine, but on the path, you know, you will want to know more. You want to experience more. And you can say that transcendental meditation alone did it, but it did it alone, not in sitting in some cave and just meditating all day. Don't, this won't do it. Except if your life is dedicated as a recluse to that, to that life, and after a certain stability and experience, and you want to have a recluse life and do nothing, learn nothing, then you must have been on a certain level where you know, you can adopt that. There is, of course, this path also, and it's a great path. So it's all, all possibilities are there depending on where we are in our life and in our dharma, vocation, and path. Is innocence necessary for the individual to live pure knowledge? 
innocence is part of the technique of transcendental meditation and part of the technique of living life also. But the intellect is also important. We have to be sharp, we have to analyze, we have to differentiate where there is danger, where there is something that appears not so healthy, that appears healthy, and not be naive. So not to mix naive with innocent. And therefore we have to be intelligent, which means we have to use our intellect that can discriminate, yet we have to have the innocence to see the beautiful things, not to have prejudice. So the innocence is in terms of not having a prejudice, and the prejudice is that which blocks us from seeing the reality in its fullness. You remember we, we said at the beginning that the door of knowledge is, we decided that on the door of knowledge is written, abandon all prejudice ye who enter here. If you want knowledge, you have to abandon your prejudice. And prejudice can be anything. When you have prejudice, you cannot see the beauty, you cannot see the fullness of life and its true nature. And prejudice is a bit of consciousness, maybe that you just had, or a sequence of bits of consciousness that were built from you're growing up or things you have thought they are the truth and the ultimate truth and they are sitting there and somebody shows you something but you cannot see it. As been said, you know, open your eyes to see, open your ears to hear. The things are there but your eyes are closed, you cannot see them. And your eyes are closed is the hiding part. It hides a certain perspective. And this is prejudice and preconceived ideas that are actually different than innocence, where you're not attached to your hard vision of things, but you're open to possibilities. And again, as I said, you have to use your intellect, you have to use your feelings, you have to analyze, you have to check, because you know, to be innocent and naive, then you can, you can make mistakes. Why doesn't consciousness count as another one of the qualia, like pain or the color red? since our experience is entirely subjective, and it can be verified objectively in material terms, just like pain or color perception. Being conscious of consciousness would be a kind of qualia, you know. I am now being conscious that I am conscious. People say I'm conscious of being conscious of being conscious. <laughs> How far does it go? Uh, not too far, actually. You can imagine that it might go indefinitely, but it doesn't. After a few times, it's like you get confused. But these are the qualias. The qualia uh, becomes then, I am conscious that I am conscious. Yes, you're right, this is a qualia. But the fact of being conscious is the element that allows you to have a qualia in your awareness. Is what is it that makes us have the qualia? Whether it's the qualia of self-awareness or the qualia of being conscious, which is a higher level of actually being conscious, but it's still there, the subjective, personal experience of being conscious as an intimate reality of yourself rather than just a mechanical um, experience that 
is on a lower level of consciousness actually and I wouldn't say this is not consciousness because now we are saying that consciousness is all there is which means everything that we encounter, every experience that we have, every reality we can think of is actually consciousness and a process in consciousness. So that's the more fundamental aspect if you like to compare it to a screen Life is like a movie, and then the screen on which this movie is projected, in that way, this is one aspect of consciousness. Of course, because we are saying consciousness is all there is, then the movie is also consciousness, and the projector is consciousness, and everything else is consciousness. But for simplicity in this case, to separate it, if you assume that consciousness is a screen, then on that screen you can project images and these are the qualia. One of the images can be, I am conscious of being conscious. So you put your attention on being conscious. Another aspect of consciousness finding itself, but it's not a qualia, is in transcending. So people who practice transcendental meditation have experienced that their mind settles down and leaves all objects and all boundaries and all specifics, all the qualia that can happen, they are left behind and what remains is consciousness by itself. This is transcendental state of consciousness, transcending. Turiya as a fourth state of consciousness in the Vedic tradition, also Samadhi or Satori in uh, Japan in Japanese, this is the term of Satori or Nirvana or state of infinite pure being, you know, pure experience of unboundedness that saints have had and people have had. And now with meditation systematically, one can actually experience consciousness by itself on its own. Why do you say that consciousness is non-physical? rather than having a fine level of physicality. Because the whole paradigm is built on the reality of consciousness as a non-physical reality. And the reason in particular is that we will then have to ask what is the physical and where does the physical come from? And that's a big question actually that if you start with consciousness as non-physical, it will solve one of the most intriguing questions about philosophy and being and ontology and epistemology, I guess, in my mind, and that is, where did it come from? And this question, where does it come from, is applicable to physical things, because we live in a world where things happen in space and in time, and therefore, there is something before, there is something now, there is something after. And in space and time, there is the concept of where did it come from? Where did it come from? And what is infinity of time? And what is before it? What was there before it? And so when you say, and it's not the only reason, it's because of course consciousness is abstract and it's not a physical thing in any case. But one of the answers that this paradigm gives is that consciousness is nothing physical. I'm not saying it is nothing. It is actually everything. We are saying consciousness is all there is. So consciousness is absolutely everything. 
Now, it answered the question of what is its origin? Where does it come from? What was there before it? There was nothing. And so, fine, nothing, it is nothing. It is itself nothing. Now, this answer one has to digest a little bit, because at first hand it's like, oh, you're playing a trick on me. What do you mean? It's, if it's something, which is consciousness, it must have an origin. And what I'm saying is, the concept of origin, the concept of time, the concept of space, the concept of beginning and end is a relative concept within manifestation. We live in a world where things start and end. We live in a world where time flows sequentially and doesn't stop. You cannot go back in time, except if you are in Back to the Future or some other kind of movie. Then there are ways you can theoretically go back in time. But since consciousness is nothingness in terms of physical reality, again, in physical perspective, it doesn't obey the physical definition of space and time. And you cannot ask what was there before nothing, because the answer is nothing. And that was nothing. And that's what it is. Before nothing was nothing, so nothing was all the time there in physical terms. But that nothing is not nothing in terms of consciousness. It is consciousness, it is fullness. And if we are used to talking about the relative field of change from one perspective, it doesn't mean we can apply that same logic to the perspective of what is non-physical, what is non-material, what is beyond space and beyond time, which is eternal being that has no concept in it. I mean, it has concept in it, but that has no concept that applies to it from the perspective of space and time. I leave this with you, and if this doesn't get resolved after you think about it a little, we can come back to it again. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.